Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our game changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. I am Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. We're live in three, two, we one. Ooh, there we go. I get you fired up. Yeah, it does. Oh my goodness. There we go. Was so, that was that Richie? I, you know, no, it was not Richie. Okay. But welcome everybody to West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak Brand Camo and the Gamekeeper Studio. And we it's gonna be a lot of fun. We have uh we've got Jake Meyer sitting in here for Dudley. Yeah. Dudley is in out the hot spot. He's hunting today. He is somewhere. Hunting. He is in the quest of his first public land turkey. Yeah. So we wish him luck. Yes, and he called a little while ago, like, hey, what are you guys doing? And well, what do you it, think it, we're doing? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's that time of day. So, Landy, you look like you've had a frazzled morning. But Well, I spent some time in the back with the, our fearless leader. and you know That's frazzling. Yeah. <laughs> we call that being Came intoxicated. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah intoxicated. <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, it was a great experience. And I typically, you know, I walk out of that office, I don't know where I am or what time it is, and that's what happened this time. So, sorry for the... Olivia, I apologize for being late. Yeah, no. I'm always unprepared, but I'm usually not late. <laughs> well, so looking across the table uh, on yeah, the lo- on the love change. seat, this is this, this, this is a this, change. This, this is, is a love seat. Up. We finally got David McElwain in here yeah. with, and he introduced her as his girlfriend. He finally brought her by. Yeah. Yes, oh, we think he's kind of embarrassed about us. Olivia Lappin, mm-hmm. and she's from Maine. Mm. She, I am. long ways from home, Mainer. Yeah. Miner, yeah. yeah. How did, what, isn't that where old uh, Bob? Bob Humphreys. Bob from, Humphreys, from, the from hump. Maine, yeah. The Humpty Hump. He sure is. Good old he oh, sure is. One, one of my favorite movies was filmed in Maine. Oh, Cider House Rules. That was a good huh? movie. I yeah. thought your favorite was like Fargo or something. Uh, I do like Fargo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but The Big Lebowski. The Big Lebowski. Yeah. But it, That's wasn't, what I was fil- it wasn't filmed in Maine. That's what it you're wasn't. thinking about. But, that, did it have anything to do with Fargo? No, no I, see. I don't think. Sorry. I think the same brothers wrote it, though, if I'm not mistaken. Mm. Jake, would you, Jake, Mac, well, yeah. would you Come fact on, check that when you get a J- chance? So, look, well, <laughs> Olivia is here for a reason. Yeah, she's um, an accomplished turkey hunter. Not, but she, is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she killed a turkey this week yes. on her first hunt. And David, was that your first turkey hunt? Oh my goodness! Her and Hayden are just in the in the the same realm. That's pretty awesome. It's it's magical territory. It is magical territory. Rare space. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was a really good time. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed it, and definitely want to go out a lot more. It'll kind so of get I, I kind of am jealous of him all the time now because he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to go with all my buddies." I'm like, "Okay, no, mo- no more of that for, for you." Swindling. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's no, turned was... from turkey hunter into turkey guide. Yeah. I know all about that. Yeah. So can y'all tell the story? 
what ha- that what happened that morning? I'd, we'd love we'd love to hear it. Yeah, so uh, we got there. We went to we tried to go to one spot. Where um, where is this? This is this one spot. This is that one spot you know <laughs> that you don't know about. No, yeah. no um, we tried to go um, on a piece of public you know, a ways up the road. Got there and there was somebody there, and it was like two hours before daylight. Dad and we thought, yeah, we, thought we were kind of like downtrodden after that, thinking that it was probably not looking too good. So we drove to another one, and uh, there wasn't anybody there. So walked in there, and it was real foggy. Um, got there at like 5.30 in the morning. And um, just one of those mornings you don't expect turkeys to be gobbling. And uh, I kept telling her, I was like, don't, like, think this is going to be the rest of the year. Like, this, yeah. is, this isn't looking good. Downplaying it as much as you can. Yeah. Well, I already had, like, pretty low expectations going into it, too, yeah. just from what people talk about turkey hunting Mississippi. Mm-hmm. You know, it's hard, and, you know, you rarely hear them and whatever. So I didn't have any expectations going into it at all. I was just like, you know, if I hear one, great. If I see right. one, even cooler. Yeah. I had no plans to even, like, pick up my gun, honestly, right. at all. Yeah. Yep. So we're sitting against the tree. We decided that we just stop and listen to a spot. And, uh, we sat there for how long? Forty-five minutes yeah, or so, while. and uh, almost falling asleep. And a turkey gobbles, like probably eighty to hundred yards from us. And we we're both like, "Oh my gosh!" Did I just <laughs> hear that? Just yeah, we both looked at yeah. each other. We're like, "Oh, yeah, high five <laughs> and everything." You, we were all excited and everything. And uh, and then we're sitting there a little longer, and another one gobbled uh, on the other side. So uh, on the opposite side, of on the opposite mm-hmm. side, we're in between. Oh, them. so y'all are smack. Perfect. Yeah. We're in Just between. Ideal, them. Right. Yeah, and me and her kind of like try to figure out which one we're we going to. Right. There was one that was a lot hotter than the other one, but the one that wasn't going quite as much was in a better space, our spot. Yeah. Um. So she was the one that said, "Let's go to that one." I was like, "Let's go." So uh, we started kind of easing around. And then she actually was the one that said, why don't we get over here in between them? And more between them. All right. I thought, it's pretty you know, guiding the guy. <laughs> She's strategic. Not to that, but, She's strategic. But, uh, yeah, she does a lot better job at positioning, apparently, than I do. But, She's uh, thinking you're hunting. Yeah, yeah. Well, but anyway. Um, Lanny doesn't take direction like that when you. When I'd been no. Like, I would have been there 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but that turkey kept gobbling. We got closer to him, got in between them. And, um. We sat down, and uh, I think I called one time. Yeah, I think it was just the one. Yeah, yeah, barely one time. Um, but I got I called right when the other turkey gobbled, kind of calling at him. On top of him. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, and immediately the one that we were after answered. Um, Did and you put then, the kiki cackle fly down on No, it? I didn't do all that. We were, <laughs> we were close. We were real close to it. And I kinda, <laughs> yeah, how close is close? Uh, within... Within a hundred, yeah, oh, yeah, wow. sure. yeah, and, and no, no leaves on trees. So it's like, oh, you no, can't, yeah, yeah, you yeah. can't, yeah. But um, and you know, like I said, she's never been turkey hunting before, so I was like trying to like tell her, okay, when you sit down, you know, put your gun on your yeah. knee and everything, like he's gonna come. I think in this spot, right if he comes over here and everything, so it's like I was having to do a whole new element of like, which was great for me to learn, like taking somebody new besides mm-hmm. just like setting up for myself and everything, um. Which it made it a cool situation, but I'll kind of let you tell what happened after that. Yeah, well, we weren't there for that long. How long were we sitting there for? 15 minutes, probably, or so. How long? But it was cool because we got to hear him fly off the roost, which I had never heard. And I remember just thinking it was funny because it was the least graceful thing I'd ever heard before. (laughs) It was like, oh my gosh. Did he fall? Yeah, it sounds like he fell (laughs) through the tree. Yeah, exactly. Um, And then, yeah, I don't. Did you end up calling? 
called Again, one time. I think you did one time, and we just yeah. kind of waited to see if, if we saw him, and we did. We saw him coming in kind of pretty much right where we expected him to, and he kind of just crossed uh, from my – uh, left side, right over to my right side. How far would you say? That 40 yards. Yeah, yeah, how far? Just kind of walked through, and I was just kind of waiting until he was in between opening of two trees and, and shot him and got That's him. Your heart it was, it was real, point. like. She's like a cold-blooded killer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I, like, it's funny. So I wasn't as anxious as I thought, but I think it's because it all happened so, so fast. Good, yeah. yeah, like, I thought I'd be waiting there for a while, and, like, I thought the turkey would go around us, and it'd be really hard, but it just kind of. Showed up right where I needed it. Well, that's common. If you it, keep on hunting, they're gonna come around. Oh, you. <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I kept telling, I kept thinking, I was like, "This is not gonna happen. Like, this can't happen this easy and everything." Well, I gotta tell you, you know, for me, like when I think I'm gonna kill one, I usually don't. Yeah. When I don't, it usually works yeah. out. Yeah, so. but uh, yeah. but she shot, and um, I ran her. I, I was mm. put the foot I, on. Oh it. my gosh, I was running a four two forty over there, getting after it. Got her to it, and, and immediately I was like. This is the biggest turkey as far as furs and and uh, beer that I've ever seen. <laughs> he was pretty I've been wanting to kill a turkey like this my whole life, um, and we're celebrating everything, high fiving, and this other turkey that we heard that morning kept gobbling, and I was kind of ignoring it. Like I was right. like, "Let's sit here and enjoy your spot. Like this is your hunt. Like right. let's enjoy it and everything." And I'm kind of tuning it out, and yeah, and she's like, "You don't want to go after that turkey?" And I was like, "No, it's okay. No, we'll just enjoy this or whatever." And it gobbled again. I was like, um, <laughs> yeah, like that. Time to go. Let's go after that turkey. So um, we immediately left that turkey right there. On the ground. On the ground. Didn't drag him with no, you. No, this the other shoulder. one was within probably 200 yards of yeah. us. Yeah. And uh, we, I thought he was on the other side of the slough. Put you an onyx pin over where you left uh, him. Yeah, there I'll tell you, you what. Go. I have onyx pins all over the I know spot. you do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need to take a look at that one. Yeah. yeah. We're going to sequester that. And I want to say this. I actually gave... Bobby, my login info a long time ago. And that's how trusting I am of Bobby. And I've never broken that trust. I know, I know. I, I gave him my login you info. You never gave it to me. No, I'm not giving it to you. No. <laughs> no. We hunt the same spot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, we got over there. I thought this turkey was on the other side of the slough, and turns out he wasn't. And uh, I pulled a David Holly and uh, crow called my mouth to see if it worked, and it gobbled, like, close. And yeah. I was like, oh, man, like this is – it's like one of those ones where you hear it in his chest. Mm-hmm. Um, so we sat down immediately and, uh, I called pretty aggressively one time and, uh, he cut, he kept cutting me off and I thought I was going to shut up and, uh, he made this big loop around me. He made a complete circle around me and uh, I'm trying to follow it as, you know, as he goes behind a tree, I'll move a little bit, move a little bit. And he gets all the way to the backside of the tree and my gun is literally right in front of her face. Perfectly like, set up like this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, hold your ears. Yeah. yeah. Well, she held her right ear. But some reason her left ear was the one that she can barely hear out of right oh, yeah. now. It's, it's still ringing. Yeah, yeah, and it's been a week, so it's worth it. So. Yeah, <laughs> I, see, I understand. <laughs> but ended up shooting that turkey and um, completed the little flash double hunt. up. Uh, yeah, on our first hunt, and it was just like that doesn't happen around here, man. Uh, for no, me, at least, no, no, no. I don't know. They're both gorgeous turkeys. I mean, it was just a it was a hunt that I don't think that I'll ever forget. I know she won't either. No, be no doubt hunt. about it. That's the you're gonna get it mounted for. I am. The, the big turkey? Yeah, not a full body mount. Mm-hmm. That's what I say. It doesn't look like it out there. No, it's not looking <laughs> like a full body mount. <laughs> no. 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 I already have my deer head that yeah. he got me earlier. I already have that being mounted. And I was like, I can't have just like a bunch of dead animals all in my it. place. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. the, the fan's good enough. Yeah, I don't need a whole cool. turkey. But Bottom so line is, year, yeah, right. she's being spoiled, I feel like. And yeah. then, I've been too spoiled, I think. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, Mississippi's a game-rich yeah. environment. That's right, but no doubt about yeah. it. So, 
It's fun, that's for yeah. sure. Well, so, congratulations. That's a heck of a Yeah, party. let's hit the horns one yeah, time. Yeah, for real. Good. So, there <laughs> we go, one, Richie. There we go. Get yeah, Richie. Horns too, man. Richie, come on. Where are you at? <laughs> I tell you. Richard, <laughs> over there. So, I gotta go back. So, hey, there it is. How does a, a young lady like you find her way from Maine <laughs> to, to Mississippi. Mississippi State? Yeah, so I actually get asked that a lot. Um, well, I went to school at University of Maine. Um, I did my undergrad there, uh, and that was in wildlife ecology. And they kind of harp on the fact in wildlife that you need to get experience. So you're not mm-hmm. going to get a job unless you get experience in the field. Um, so during my last two years of undergrad, um, I did a whole bunch of different field jobs um, all around. I did some turkey work in Delaware where we did like rocket netting turkeys. Um, yeah, uh, putting transmitters on them, tracking them. That was super cool. Um, I did some stuff uh, on some islands off the coast of Maine doing seabird stuff. So puffins and whatnot. Um, went out to California for a bit and did some like fly fish, backcountry, mule packing, guiding stuff out there. Um, and did a whole bunch of different jobs. And while I was out my second time in California, uh, I was doing some, just basically some game camera studies, looking at interactions between uh, elk and wild horses out there, especially at like watering holes and if the wild horses are impacting the elk movements and, and whatnot. And while I was out there, I knew that I wanted to get my master's degree. I wanted to continue my education just because you really can't become a biologist that gets decent pay unless you get your master's degree, which is kind of unfortunate, but um, you do learn so much more getting a master's degree than you would just a normal four-year degree. So I had found a position doing northern bobwhite research uh, at Mississippi State under my advisor, uh, Dr. Mark McConnell, and I didn't know until he told me after he hired me that he already wanted to hire me before we even interviewed, um, which was which was cool. So, but we had an interview and it was, this was when the whole COVID thing was happening. So it was all on zoom and um, we just hit it off talking about, you know, quail and wildlife stuff. We, we were, it was barely even an interview. Um, so we just hit it off. And so I came down here, drove from, originally drove from Maine to California Oof. and then from California to here to start uh, my master's degree. My, here, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah. my poor car. Yeah. <laughs> it's been through a lot, but um, it made it. Yeah. It, it, and it's probably going to have to drive. I don't know where next, but we'll, we'll find out. Um, but no, it's been really good. I've liked it since I got here. I didn't think I was going to like it in Mississippi because I'd never really spent much time in the South. I yeah. don't like the heat. You know, Oof. I'm from Maine. I, like, I am spot. not used to the yeah. heat and humidity that's down here and, you know, the snakes and the everything cockroaches and everything. Yeah, I was like, this is horrible. But <laughs> <laughs> Cockroaches? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know it No, no so I was just like, oh, I don't know. That's, um, that's David's apartment. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that must be David's apartment. <laughs> no. Saying, yeah. Not ours. Oh, my goodness. No, but, um, <laughs> but it's definitely grown on me, especially getting into the hunting stuff because I always wanted to in Maine, but um, I'm sure a lot of you know it's really hard to get into hunting unless you have somebody to take you. You can't mm-hmm. just go by yourself. You don't. Gotta have a mentor. Yeah, you don't. Right. You just you don't know what you're doing. Um, so it's really good that I met him. Um, he's kind of the one that exposed me to all of it, and I had always wanted to, but it's. Um, I'm glad that I've been able to have that opportunity here. So it's definitely grown on me, um, for sure. Definitely with the hunting. That's cool. I was going to ask you that. You know, we're around a lot of people. I mean, I went to wildlife school and forestry school, but I grew up, you know, as a as an outdoorsman, as a hunter. The love I had for the wildlife transitioned into what I wanted to do for a living. But it sounds like, you know, your love for the wildlife has kind of got you pointed in the direction that you wanted to go. It just has hunting changed your perspective now on uh, 
not, not even, you know, I guess how we manage wildlife to a certain degree and hunters in general. Oh, yeah, big time, um, especially in Maine. Uh, a lot of people in my classes were not hunters. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I really didn't even know that many hunters. A lot of people were actually, you know, vegans, vegetarians. And so that's kind of what I grew up with. I never really, I never really liked hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wasn't exposed to it and I just wasn't a fan of it. Um, but then as you progress through school and you learn more about it, you realize how important it is for managing wildlife. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's the funds from like duck stamps going towards funding national, uh, wildlife refuges or, um, other, mm-hmm. other funds, you know, a lot of that money from hunting goes towards wildlife and you, that's just something you're not always taught. Right. Um, so I learned a lot about that here. And then my advisor is big on doing, um, like, conservation and ag landscapes so mm-hmm. i thought that was really interesting too to see how you can integrate conservation and ag because ag isn't huge in maine um as as big as is here so uh, it's really interesting to to look into that too mm-hmm. so it's definitely i'm glad that i've gotten more into the hunting cool. stuff because it definitely has changed my perspective and just like you learn so much more about the wildlife being out there than you would from a textbook no 100 yeah, so that's right well, it's interesting that she is in the northern bobwhite research yeah. because we all care about the oh my so goodness. much. That's the one they, we talk about all the time. Yeah, what and they, they, they've them, gone away. Know? We've hear, if my ringtone is a is a whistle. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I mean it, it, it's sad. Yeah, but so if if you could boil it down to just a you know we need probably need to do get Mark over here with you, McConnell. We Landon, we've oh, yeah. met him. He's a great oh, yeah. guy, no doubt about and, it. And and um. And do a podcast on, on their quail research. But it, could you just, what two or three things that are occurring that are causing the demise of the, of the, of our beloved Bob White? What, what could you, what would you say? Yeah. So, um, the main thing as it is with pretty much everything, turkeys, whatever is, is habitat. Um, just the loss of good habitat that they need. So, when you look back in time, the way that we used to do farming and agriculture, you had these fence rows, um, you had more land in between agriculture, but then we got so good at agriculture, um, which is great for the farmer. You know, they're able to make more money, more profit off of um, farming, but it's not so great for our wildlife because you have these um, crop fields next to crop fields next to crop fields, and then you bring in livestock, and so you've got um, like exotic forage grasses like fescue and so forth, and that stuff is just way too thick for quail to, especially quail chicks, to move around in. So um, that takes away some more of those native grasslands that that they utilize. Um, so just the way that we've changed um, our our farming practices has been really big. And then in addition to that, um, the way that we've changed uh, how we manage timber. Again, really great for um, timber productions. We've gotten really, really good at growing tons of trees, really high basal areas. But that makes this um, really thick canopy where sunlight isn't allowed to come down and to create um, good grasses and forbs for them. And so it's just too thick. There's nothing for them there. So we've gotten really, really good and productive um, at agriculture and timber. But that's just been a, a negative side for wildlife. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the main thing. And then a lot of people think predation is a big issue, which, you know, it sort of is, but we've had a lot of studies that show that predator management isn't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily work unless you do it really, really extensively. Um, it's really not going to make much of a difference. And even if you do um, really good habitat management, sometimes you don't even have to implement any sort of predator control because the habitat is so good that they have those areas that they can escape from predators. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that it's it's mostly just loss of the habitat that they need. 
it's just it's just gone. So we've always talked talk about the death of the forty acre farm. That's yeah, yeah, the, and the yeah. garden, yeah, and the garden, yeah, that, you know, and the pea yeah. patch, yeah, the pea know. patch. And you're right because I mean it used to be there was these buffers on all these fields, and now it's like zero lot subdivisions. They want to plow every square inch they can to get maximum mm-hmm. production. Right. What about the fire ants? I just feel like they've got to play a role in this. Yeah. So a lot of people um, think that they are a big problem, and they are. You know, they'll they'll eat quail eggs, they'll eat chicks, and, and they will, um, but it's really not a huge issue here that we found. Um, it is a little bit bigger in Texas, but it's it's definitely not as significant as habitat. You know, if you don't have the habitat, the ants don't matter. Yeah. Um, and so your number one thing should always be habitat, and then um, especially managing habitat with either whatever, fire or disking, um, trying to set back those vegetational stages to like early secession. And yeah. that's, that's what I found too, is um, just talking to people in the public, a lot of people are like, yeah, you know, my quail have gone and I don't know what happened to them. Um, but, and so I asked, I was like, well, have you changed your property? Have you done anything different that would cause that? And they're like, well, no, I haven't changed anything at all. And I was like, well, that might be your problem because Mm -hmm. you have to actively manage your land for quail, which, you know, they're tough, they're a tough species to manage. You have to set fire to your property. You have to set back that secessional stage of the vegetation because they don't want it really thick and they don't want really tall trees. So you have to actively manage for them if you want them. So, Jake, do you have any quail whistling on the place you I bought? do, actually. It, Chickasaw County is a – I can't remember the terminology, but it's like a, a quail restoration or a quail focal, focal yeah. mm-hmm. county, and there are two consistent coveys that I do see out there about every time I go out there. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's that's, that's and a whippoorwill. Beyond seeing them. That's not a quail. That's a whippoorwill. <laughs> beyond, oh, seeing, oh, beyond seeing them just listen. I do hear that sometimes in the turkey woods, though. <laughs> Richie, Richie, Richie. I, I had another question I was going to ask, but uh, that really threw me for a loop. The whippoorwill kind of worked into my mind here. But... Uh, yeah, thank you, Richie. That, so, I brought him back. <laughs> So the the quail stuff, but yeah. listening to you talk, it's it's obvious that that what well, you're doing, what you need to be doing. It sounds like you're very passionate about this. You understand what's going on, and it, that, that's exciting to see young people do that. But are, are we going to be able to make a big difference in places and try to and, and bring these quail back? Do you do you feel positive about what the future holds for the quail? Yeah, that's a that's a tough question because I think it changes every single day I'm out there. Um, and interacting with the public especially. Some days I'm like, oh, yeah, we can totally bring them back. And I think we can. I mean, there's places like Tall Timbers. They're always going to have quail. They're, you know, they actively manage for quail. So right. I don't think they're ever going to necessarily go extinct. And that's North Florida, South Georgia, that big Red yeah. Hills region that yes. you're talking about. Yep. Um, and they do a great job of managing them. But that, you know, that's what they're, that's entirely what they're for is managing for quail. Whereas most private landowners, that's, you know, so, that's not their main focus. I do think it's possible to... Um, increase their populations and it's it's can be pretty simple too um, I don't know if you've heard of like the conservation reserve program there's you know specific habitat buffers that private landowners which private landowners are going to be huge in bringing back quail populations um, and they do a great job already in doing it if they enroll in these programs like CRP where you have these habitat buffers on the like less um more marginal parts of your crop fields that aren't going to produce as much money, you can actually be paid through these conservation reserve programs to put in these habitat buffers, which um, quail 
uh, respond to greatly. Even the following year, there's been tons of studies that show you put those buffers in, and then the next year you, you've increased your quail population already. You hear a lot more quail calling. So even just simple things like that that can actually make a landowner money, um, those, those options are out there. So I think it's just more of getting that knowledge out there so people realize that they have these options to bring quail back and actually can make money doing it. That's exactly what we're doing out at some property we own in Chickasaw County, uh, just northwest of where we're sitting here in West Point. But uh, we're doing it through the NRCS office and the EQIP programs. And our, the focal point of our plan is prescribed fire lanes and then prescribed burning that we'll be doing on that property. And that's an eight-year-old clear cut. So that, that fire is an incredible tool to, like you said, Olivia, reset that back to, uh, I, I can't remember the state of the vegetation that you referred to. but mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, just like early secession. Exactly. Stages. Yeah. That's a big part of the plan uh, for what we're doing. And the quail are already there, but um, it seems like uh, what we're doing, just from what I can tell, is going to make a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely think it will. And, you know, it's, it's always good, too, to kind of see what you're – what your neighbors are doing because you can do everything possible for quail on your property but it's even better if you can try to get your neighbors also interested in quail because yes. then you know that's just more area that they're going to have so wow i i, I want to get you back yeah with mark and because yeah. this is this is so interesting and fascinating it's right right why don't you can you stay with us and what we're fixing to have mark jury on the top would you can you stay we, we might ask you some more questions. David, you can leave if you want. Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I see you, David. <laughs> so, all right, Richie, can we get uh, – th- thank you for being here, though. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Been I really appreciate so, it. You I should hang around about Mississippi. There's so. I mean, no need to leave. Yeah, yeah. yeah we'll see. What about grits? <laughs> we'll see. you like cheese grits? Yeah, you like grits? Yeah. I've only ever had them once at a restaurant, and that's it. I've never had them. David. Again, so. David. I'm failing. David. I'm yeah. failing. <laughs> get her some cheese yeah, Show her the so. food culture, too, man. Yeah. All right, guys, so here's what I suggest. Let's take a break. Uh, Mac, wake up over there now. Mac, I can't He's see nowhere. you, man, unless I was hidden. All right, and we come back, we'll have Mark Drury, and we'll be talking about some turkey talking vocalization. Talking about turkey vocalization? All right, talking turkey. Work. I know what that is. Talking turkey with Mark Drury. There you go. All right, let's take a break. Hey, this is Mac. Checking game cameras is one of the many pleasures I get from gamekeeping. OnX helps keep track of my camera locations to be sure I'm getting the information that I need to make the best decisions for the wildlife. Try it out for yourself and see. Use coupon code MOSSYOAK to save 20% on your OnX subscriptions. Know where you stand. Welcome back, everybody. Look, we've got Mark Jury, who's we have had... Blaney, I did some research. Did yeah, we, you? We've had a lot of guests, mm-hmm. Bronson Strickland being one that we've had. We've had Mark Jury on more than any anybody else. And you know, we have what well, we love the juries. He's a bottomland brother. I he, mean, he, he is. He's been here longer than you or me. <laughs> he's probably the best deer hunter we know. Yeah, the best guy at growing food plots, yeah. and he can yelp better Showing than up. anybody else yes, I know. He does. He so. Can. It's easy to kind of blow a little smoke at Mark because he is so good at what he does. And we we just uh, – OGK. Yeah, we want to <laughs> welcome you to the show, Mark. Well, I appreciate it. I always get humbled by you guys. I mean, you, you're too too kind. I can tell you that much. I enjoy coming on the show, and I'm glad that I'm the most frequent guest. That's uh, that's uh, an honor. I'll, I'll put it that way. Thank well, you. Honor's all ours, that's for sure. But before we get started, but your brother Terry, how's he doing? Terry's good, man. Everybody's good. Terry, Matt, Taylor, Willa, Tracy. I mean, we're we're uh, 
just enjoying the winter up here. And I can't wait for spring turkey season to get, get rolling. I went to Texas, but it was, it was tough down there. And, and uh, Taylor and I went together. We did not kill a turkey, but it was, uh, it was enjoyable getting out there with her. But in, in general, everybody's quite well. Well, that's good. Well, you know, it's not very often that you can say you went to Texas turkey hunting and don't kill a turkey. They that, have those years, though, you know. It What's was, going on right now? You know, um, two things. I, I hunted this this particular spot west of San Antonio about an hour last year, and I noticed there were no jakes, but a lot of turkeys, a lot of turkeys. and, um, th- and But there were no jakes, so I thought, well, they could be old next year. And, and I think, number one, I was dealing with old turkeys. Mm-hmm. Number two, the spring was quite there. And number three, the drought is so severe. I sent Bobby some pictures this morning. Um, I've never seen what I felt like weather conditions shut a flock down like this did. The drought is so bad. There is no green anywhere. I mean, zero. You can't find it. They haven't had a, a measurable rain in, in 90 days. And um, I think it's really affecting them. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that they're old. And then number two, I think they're just trying to live, much less mate. Yeah. Uh, the hens were still flocked up. The gobblers weren't strutting. They were barely gobbling wow. and they were just walking around picking and really, really didn't have any, any inkling they were going to start anytime soon. The way it looked, I mean, I felt like it was December, you know, it was, it was odd, hmm. really odd. Wow. That, that is odd. Well, Mark, we've got Jake Meyer here with us. I know Jake uh, grew up in Bloomsdale, not yep. too far from you guys. Probably poached some of your turkeys. No so doubt. I, hope I, poached, I poached one of Terry's squirrels. I actually shot my first squirrel what was on Terry's property there on their construction office that bordered the property I was raised on. So yeah. Nice. Dad told me to go hunt that timber, but yeah. come to find out it, it wasn't ours. So, But yeah. I talked to Terry. I came, I came, clean, came to, clean I came clean you to Terry. It. He's That's okay good. with yeah. it. I, I owe him a squirrel. So. so, Mark, we've also got another guest. We've got a young lady named Olivia Lappin. She's a student at Mississippi State, a grad student doing some northern bobwhite research. We've been talking to her. We're just super impressed with her. And so she's sitting in here, and she may end up having a question for you. She just killed her first turkey a few days ago. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Congratulations, Olivia. Olivia, man, there's nothing, nothing like that first bird. Awesome. No oh, yeah, doubt. Thank you so much. Yeah, and it was long hooks too. Yeah. So we're all kind of green about that right now, <laughs> but uh, we'll we'll get over it in <laughs> ten or fifteen years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what, Mark? What we wanted to do? We've done some podcasts about turkeys this spring, and everybody's all excited about turkey season. But we wanted to kind of ask you some questions about some of the vocalizations and what you think. Uh, you know how we can express and communicate this to our listeners uh, to help them understand what some of the vocalizations might might specifically mean so sure uh, jake why don't you throw out the first question there i'm gonna look at you mark I, i you know i was born and raised there in bloomsdale as you know and i've watched your videos over the years and i've always noticed i felt like you were a little you were a little more high pitched at times uh than than maybe raspy but maybe it was uh, just my observations, but um, is there a specific reason why you may go high pitched over raspy or anything with those? Certainly, I, I think um, if you think about when you hear someone that's very excited, their voice goes up in pitch. Or if you hear a gentleman talking that's very low in tone at three or four hundred yards versus perhaps a child that screams with excitement, which of the two sounds are you going to hear? High pitch sounds travel farther, they travel faster, and they're much clearer when they get to where they're they're intended to go. So 
I like high pitch sounds. Uh, we did some studies back in the days of the, of the mad game call company and, and Turkey's actually here at a range much higher than, than humans. Um, so we did some calls that would hit 13, 14, 15,000 Hertz, really, really high pitch stuff. And, and I think the fact that they're heard much clearer and they also emulate excitement, those two things combine yield a much better response from, from gobbling wild turkeys. I mean, you can just sit there and test it, try a low pitch call and then try the same volume with a higher pitch call. You're just going to get more responses out of the higher pitch. I just think it elicits excitement because it, it, uh, it, it represents excitement and therefore you get excitement in return. So I've always been on that high pitch side of things and rasp is good. And I do throw rasp in there because I think it adds realism and it sounds like that old nasty hen. Uh, but I, I love high pitch calling. So is there a technique that something that, that you do with the airflow or a word that you say to help add rasp to the call? Now, generally rasp comes from how you hold the diaphragm in your mouth plus the actual cut or design on that diaphragm call. And the simplest way that you can find out which one works for you is to buy a variety of different cuts as opposed to just the same cut over and over and try all the different cuts. And all of a sudden you'll find one that suits you the best. Um, I, I think the kind of the, the, um, the ghost type cuts or the bat wings, those are very easy to blow. The V-type calls are very easy to blow. The combo cut with a V and cutter in combination, all of those will yield different sounds and all of them will give their own special types of rasp. Um, so I go through a variety of calls each and every spring trying to find that one that's got that combination between the high pitch I want, that turkey high high ball and yelp, and then it drops into that nasty nasty raspy sound. So it just it just takes a while to find the exact right one, but that rasp generally comes from the variety of cuts. Mm. So we had Toxie in here a couple of podcasts ago, and we asked him the question: Who, who sounds the turkeyest in the woods? Who's who's the best turkey caller he's hunted with? And he said, "You, yeah, and, yeah, yeah." I mean, it, it, so I mean that that's going a long way, and. Uh, there's got to be something through the years that's that's helped you pick up and and just be so henny in your in your calls. Is is there something that you is there a turning point that you can remember when you just suddenly the the light bulb clicked and said, okay, this is what I need to be doing or how I need to be sounding. Um, as you know, I'm fairly analytical about everything, whether it be deer hunting or food plots or just life in general. And I like to analyze actual tonal quality of individual hens. So I have recordings of hens that I listen to, and then I try to emulate what they sound like. So even when I was competing back in the you know 90s, I was trying to emulate hen turkeys and not another caller. And I, I often saw guys go on stage that I was like, well, they're trying to sound like Walter or that guy's trying to sound like Paul. And, and I never wanted to be that person. I always wanted to sound like a hen. So mm -hmm. um, when I called on stage or when I call in the woods, I just envision hens that I've heard in the past. And I try to emulate them not only in, in sound quality, but also in rhythm. And I think a lot of a lot of things that you may not be able to control sound quality as much. In other words, you're not sounding as good as you want, but you can control your rhythm and most importantly, your cadence. So there's cadence in, in the individual yelps. And then there's the rhythm of calling to a turkey. Everybody's been out there and heard a guy that starts calling. And once he puts his call in, he won't stop. He won't even give the gobbler a chance to call back or gobble back. 
And there is a natural flow in the conversation, just like when we're talking, someone speaks, someone responds, so on and so forth. The same thing happens with turkeys. Don't put the call in and then not stop calling. Make sure you allow them to recharge their battery. So I think sometimes realism comes from just the manner in which you work a turkey as much as it is the sound quality. Mm -hmm. You just said, don't put the call in. I think your words exactly were, don't put the call in and not stop calling. What Can you expand on that? You know, guys just call too much. I mean, they get it in there and they start yelping and they're like, oh, that sounds better. So they keep yelping and they're like, oh, there it is. It's even better. <laughs> and they're worried about how they sound mm-hmm. as, opposed to, as opposed to what they mean to the turkey. And they just overcall. I hear it all the time. It's like, man, take the call out of your mouth or just stop calling and listen. Um, I'm one of those guys. I just, I, I, I have a general gut feeling as to when I need to pour it on, but more often than not, I'm backing up. I just, I, I make that turkey come and hunt me as much as I possibly can. I'll go through periods of trying to get him excited, but more often than not, I'm trying to have him seek me out or I'm trying to get in a better position and, and hit him again. I'm big on moving around and making it sound like a hen is, is, is changing her position a little bit. I think that's another mistake people make sitting in the same spot and never moving and hens just generally don't do that. So I try to, you know, emulate what a hen would be like. Mm-hmm. So if you were to compare that to humans and social interactions, it's almost like you're, wanting to truly listen to the turkey you're calling to instead of thinking about what you're going to say next before you even listened to that human's response, if you will. No question, because you don't know whether you're dealing with a turkey that is a two-year-old turkey or a turkey that's five or six. And because you can't tell by their gobble how old they are. So I always assume I'm working an old turkey And then I back up on that position. The more clues he gives me that maybe he's not as old as I thought he was, or maybe he's not going to be as tough as I thought he was. So I always start on the lowest rung of the ladder and I work my way up in terms of overall aggression. I keep as many chips in my pocket for as long as I can keep them there. And if I can kill that turkey on a soft yelp or two and uh, get him in front of me, that's what I do. But I save those chips all the time. So I, I try to minimize how much I do. But if it's needed, I'll pour it on. If you guys watch our videos or watch our lives, a lot of times I'm I'm hammering them, but I've already done all the light stuff and that didn't work and uh, had to get a little bit of aggressive to get them in sometimes. Hmm. Landy, you got a question? Yeah, I think mine's more, you know, hunting related. Uh, we all have, the, I guess, a, a, co- a common question that we always hear is, do you tree yelp? I do. Yeah, especially when I get into the latter part of the season. Mm-hmm. Like early season up here, when our season opens early, which would be, you know, similar to what you guys are going through right now, like our birds are still a little flocky at that time of the year. And there's a lot of vocalizations going on and you can get by with a lot more. But once you get into that peak breeding and all the flocks are separated out and the hens are separated out and the gobblers are pretty much not in many groups anymore. I do a lot of soft talk and that's the time of the year where I try to get really tight in my overall setup. So, I mean, tree yelping, you know, if you're 300 yards, maybe it'll mean something, maybe it won't, but it'll dang sure mean something if you're within that hundred yard sweet spot. I love setting up 125 yards into about 75. I don't like to get a lot closer than that, but I I love to be close and I, I do tree up to start the conversation, but I generally don't do it unless I've heard another hen already 
or unless I think it's just about time for him to fly down. I, I don't like calling a lot when their feet are on the limb. I, I really, really despise it. Actually, I, I generally wait till they're just about to fly down or they're already on the ground. That was, that was kind of my next question. Yeah. You know, when, when did the first time would you call to them? Uh, yeah. And you already answered that. Depends on the situation, how many birds are around, whether I think he's got hens, that type of stuff. Like, if he's got hens, I want to be the first hen on the ground. Get your name in the hat, 100% of the time. Gotcha. 100% of the time. First hen on the ground, most aggressive hen, come to me right now. you got one shot because once they fly down and he's down, it's over. Mm -hmm. You know, it's over. So, you've got to be that first hen and try. So, after the, the, you know, he's flown down on the roost, you know, He's with his hands. You've yelled at him a couple times. He goes off with his hands. I, I assume, like us, you kind of give him a little time to chill out uh, and then maybe try to get in, in his general facility again. Would you, you know, your next time to get him to respond, is that a yelp? Is that a cut? Uh, is that a, a particular thing? Or are you just kind of uh, like everything else? It depends. I'm a yelper and a cutter. Like, I combine the two all the yep. time. So I love to yelp. I love to cut in with it. And I love to change my yelp. That's one thing I do frequently and all day is I do two different types of Yelp at the same time. Like I'll give a high pitch Yelp and then I'll break into, dunk, 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 you know, and it, you'll hear hens do that. And generally when I drop into that low gear and really horse him, that's when I'll get a, a turkey to gobble most. And then I'll mm -hmm. throw some cuts in there with it and try to, you know, try to make it excited, but I'm a Yelper and a cutter. And that's how I kill 99% of the turkeys I kill. I'm, I'm yelping and cutting at them. Mm -hmm. I like it. So, you know, what I'd, I'd love for a guy to listen to this and understand, and, and I may be asking an oversimplified question, but when you cut at a turkey, what are, what are you saying to that turkey? I think, Bobby, if, if I came on to you right now and I said, Bobby, listen to me, you know, you're not listening. Like, I think you're trying to grab their attention, and I, I'm, I'm as excited as I'm going to be in any conversation with you. And I think that's what a hen's doing. I think that is her peak level of excitement. And the reason I say that, do you ever notice when you call that lone hen in, she doesn't have a gobbler and she's getting closer. She started by yelping. You had communication by you yelping and her yelping. But then the closer she got, she gets, she gets a little testy. She starts cutting, looking for you. She's very territorial and she's, she's mad. She's PO'd. And I think that's her peak of excitement. I think when a turkey gobbles, that's his peak of excitement. When a hen cuts is the equivalent of a turkey goblin. And I think that's the reason it's a great locator because it it yields excitement in return. But I think that's their peak of excitement, in my opinion. So to, to back back up when we're talking about tree calling, mm -hmm. so <clears throat> basically that little soft yelp, that yeah, tree call, you're just you're saying to that turkey, hey, I, I'm awake and I'm over here. And that, that's basically the communication there, is it not? It's just general, generally an op conversation opener as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. It's a way to open the conversation. The other thing that soft yelping or tree yelping can do is finish a turkey and kill them, man. I mean, that, so, that slow, soft stuff, scratching the leaves, maybe a cluck and purr if you can do it. If you can't do a cluck and purr well, I would recommend soft yelping. Really, really soft. Just keep your lips closed. Yelp under your breath. Use a gloved hand, whatever you got to do. Soften it up and uh, scratching leaves a little bit that soft stuff's killer man especially on birds that have been you know played with a little bit you know lanny and i end up hunting together a lot and and lanny is is good at scratching in the leaves and sounding like a turkey as anybody i've ever been around and we i hear turkeys gobble at him scratching in mm -hmm. the leaves or at least that's what i think they're doing 
They'll, they'll also gobble at you walking through the woods. Have you ever noticed that? You're oh, walking yeah. through the woods and you're a little bit loud and all of a sudden, pow! Happened last week. <laughs> turkey will gobble at you. When that happens, stop and scratch a little bit. They're, um, they're masters of the audio world, that's for sure. And they know what's going on. They hear it all and they know what it is. They know what it means. And when you're too loud and popping sticks, they know what that means too. Yeah. <laughs> so make yeah. sure you're scratching and, and, and rustling leaves, not popping sticks. And so that just uh, just yelping at them that that's that's just that that common spring language of that. Uh, it was always described to me as an assembly call. Is that is that what you would consider it, Mark? Uh, I've heard it called a lost call, an assembly call. Um, I mean, it's just the basis of their language. Um, I think an assembly call, in its terms, in terms of competition calling, would be like an old hen assembly in the fall assembling her flock. An assembly call. I think in the spring, it would be more like an excited hen yelp, uh, kind of a a spring mating call. They would call it mating hen yelps if you were going on stage or something like that. But they're both the same. They sound the same. It's the duration in which you give it, uh, the excitement in which you put into it, the volume at which you do it, uh, how much rasp you put into it. Uh, But more than anything else, try to add realism and emotion into your calling. And I think one of the best ways to do that is record yourself, not at home, not in a, in a kitchen, uh, not in your basement, not in your bathroom where it's echoey. Go into the woods and record yourself on a cell phone or a video camera, whatever you have, and then play it back and then do it again and then play it back. It is amazing how poor you will sound to yourself when you thought you sounded good. You'll be like, <laughs> I nailed that. You go back and listen to it and go, oh, I'm way too slow in my, in my pace. I'm way too drug out in my yelps and you've got to get snappier. Um, So recording yourself will help you learn faster and get you through that learning curve than anything, especially if you can then compare it to live turkeys and go, okay, here's how they sound. Here's how I sound. Oh, I'm getting there. Oh my goodness. I sound terrible. Whatever it is. Be honest with yourself, but try to emulate those wild turkeys and record yourself. That's good. That's great advice. And, you know, a lot of guys end up creating these little routines that they do. And, Mark, I'm, I'm hearing people that call too long, and they may even miss a, a, a turkey goblin back at them sometimes because, you know, they're making all this racket. So I'm looking at Lanny when I say that. But, but, uh, so, but look, Mark, talk about a box call and a slate glass. How do those – when do those come out of your vest, and when do you use those? Literally every day, it's situational. I mean, the first thing I'm going to go to is a mouth call uh, to work a turkey just because that's how I kill most of them. Uh, but you take a windy day or, or a long-distance call. In other words, I feel like the gobbler's probably a little bit distant in there. This will not carry as well. So I'm going to go to a box call or a handheld friction call. I, I love aluminum. I still think it for tonality and pitch is the best. And I strike a ton of turkeys on that aluminum call. However, I finish almost all of them on a mouth call. So I I do a lot of things in combination, but when it comes to striking a turkey, it's often on a friction call and it's generally a handheld, handheld aluminum. Mm. That's good. Lanny, you looking at me? Of course I have more questions. We're talking turkey with Mark. Come on. (laughs) So, uh, you know, over the years I'm trying to, I'm not trying to sound like one hen. I'm trying to sound like multiple hens. Mm -hmm. So would you have any tips to, to, to help us in that quest? 
Certainly the easiest way to do it would be use two different devices. You could either do a push button and a mouth call or a box call and a mouth call or a handheld friction call and a mouth call or two friction calls in combination. That's the easiest way to do it. I think one of the best ways to do it is to try and get two distinctly different sounds out of a mouth call. Mm -hmm. uh, and I do that with mouth position and overall rhythm and tongue pressure. So if you take any call and you put it forward in your mouth, you're going to get a higher pitch. If you put it backwards in your mouth, in the roof of your mouth, you're going to get a lower pitch. If you, if you call with a clenched mouth and move your lips, you're going to get a higher pitch. If you move your jaw, you're going to get a lower pitch. You're just changing the sound chamber. So if you can uh, work on practicing with different sound chambers in your mouth and then go back and forth, uh, while you're out there in the woods, when you're recording yourself or have your buddy listen to you, all of a sudden you start to get two different hen sounds or you sound like the same hen that's just changing her overall emotion and, and the way she's conversing with a gobbler. And I, that's the way I kill most of my turkeys, man. I'm constantly in and out, in and out, in and out. I, I hardly ever sound the same all, all day long. I'm, I'm constantly changing around. And I, I don't know, it, it seems to work. I kill a lot of turkeys doing it. Mac, have you got a question? <clears throat> I do. Uh, there's a lot of times when you go in after a bird and the first time you're not successful. So when you go back in after a bird that you've messed with before, do you take a, I mean, a different box of calls? Uh, you know, do you yelp at them different or are you still kind of just using your, your same tactics? I, I may change calls on him, especially if I, you know, picked on him a little bit more than I should have <laughs> the first time. But I think that goes to that first time and second time and third time I was, I mentioned earlier, like I'm constantly backing up. Like I think it's, it's imperative to read a Turkey and read a situation when he's not ready, get out and just leave him for another day. Cause there's going to come a day where he's going to be in a better mood or a, or a, a moment in a day where he's going to be in a better mood. So I try to save those chips. Like I was talking about earlier and I, I just don't pound them until the time's right. But when I feel like I've got a, a hole to, to jump through, then I jump and I, I go with, with all guns and I go for it. So that's position, that's calling, that's everything. And um, it, it, it seems to work pretty well, but that only comes through years of hunting them and making a lot of mistakes and, you know, making the same mistakes a hundred times. We've all done that. And that's part of the, the learning curve of turkey hunting is just goofing up. And if I've goofed up enough, then yes, I'm going to switch devices, but I, I try to limit the exposure he's had to my calling until the time's right no that that definitely makes a lot of sense and and as far as gobbling activity what do you th do you think that like one day they're hot then they're a little less and then a little less or do you think it depends on the weather or the sun or like if you go into the same spot three days in a row what do you think changes that bird gobbling more one day versus the next if if all the conditions are, are similar uh, certainly weather does. And so does the situation It's you know, we have deer cast, which is a deer movement predictor. And everybody's like, why don't you do Turkey cast? You guys were Turkey before you were deer. And I'm like, cause you can't predict what they're going to do. <laughs> I mean, they are so situational. It could be a beautiful bluebird day. And if he's got one hand at a hundred yards that he can see in a field, he may not open his mouth that day. However, it could be a cold front with a northeast wind and he hasn't seen a hen in three days and he may gobble his tail off. So a lot of that's situational and you just have to read the situation. If it's pretty weather and they're not talking, number one, they're either probably not there or number two, they're hand up and they're just not going to talk that day. 
so you, you have to read both the weather in combination with the, with the situation. And when, when they're not gobbling, then I have a tendency to call less. When they are gobbling, I call a little bit more. That's kind of a, a, a little rule of thumb that I have. That's good. So, hey, Mark, I think Olivia's got a question for you. All right. Yeah, I actually do, and it's complete curiosity question. Um, so over the summer when I'm trying to catch quail, I try to call them in using a hen call um, off of a Bluetooth speaker, and I'm trying to call these males into these nets that I have set up. And it's really interesting because each individual male is so different when they get closer to the call, the way that they act. They all make different noises, and their behavior is so different. And I was just curious – um, with turkeys in your experience, have you ever had, do you have any stories of birds that acted completely different than what you thought or um, just did, did it, like different vocalizations um, and like how you went about dealing with that? You're exactly right. That's a very astute observation and turkeys are very much the same. Uh, I think sometimes that comes down to age. It also comes down to weather. It comes down to where he's at in the, in the breeding cycle. Are you early in the season? He's not been with a hen yet. How high is his t- testosterone level? You know, how, how low does he have his guard? Um, it also comes down to what the situation is. I've seen gobblers come into brushy areas and they'll be strutting and gobbling all the way in. They get to the edge of the brush and they stop, throw their head up and they just start clucking and looking for the hen. And I, I used to think that that was an alarm putt and I'd be like, oh no, it's over. When in reality, he can't see the hen and he's just trying to find her. If you cluck back, a lot of times they'll calm down and, and come right on in. So it really just depends on a lot of different factors. And I suspect it's, it's similar for the quail. It's probably multifactorial as to how they behave once they get close to that, that call. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It, I'm sure that's exactly what it is. I might have to steal you to come help me to try to <laughs> capture quail this summer because uh, I'm sure they're just as uh, as tricky as turkeys are because sometimes I think they're right there and they're going to come right into the net and then they don't. And I have no idea, like, should I play another hen call? Should I be quiet? I have no idea. And so I'm sure it's very similar as, as with turkey hunting. So. It, it is. It's so situational. Everyone is different. And that's why the, the chess match is so fun to play over and over and over again. It's it's just it's just the best. And I suspect it's the same with pheasants or or any bird that'd be coming to a mating call, man, you, you know, they're trying to live first and foremost, but if they drop their guard, they'll, they'll act uh, a little foolish at times. Well, Mark, look guys, Mark is a past world champion caller. So I think we would be remiss if we didn't get him to go through some of the calls. No question. So Mark, if you wouldn't mind, would you just kind of run through, uh, you know, some yelps and some cuts and just kind of describe what you're doing and let, and we'll try to be quiet and just listen. Certainly, we'll, we'll do it. Um, uh, I, I'll do it on a diaphragm. What, what, do you mind telling what kind of calls you run these days? That is a DOD signature series from our friends at, at Hunter Specialties, myself and Tad Brown, back together from our old oh, Mad Tad. Yeah. That's awesome. That is. They asked us to get with Tad, myself, and Terry and, and design a new series, and we did that. It's the DOD signature series, but this is a, a ghost tongue. And um, I'll just start, you know, kind of on the, the lower end, like just a simple, you know, uh, contact cluck. You know, you, you want to cluck and you're really not not making too big of a statement. So even with that, 
you hear the tone changing. Mm-hmm. And I did some of that with hand position. And I did some of that with mouth position. If you listen to hen turkey, she's hardly ever does the same thing just over and over and over with redundancy. There's always tonality changes. And that's what I did there with my clucking. I did a few clucks in a row. Sometimes you just need a single cluck to kill a turkey. Um, but it's it's a great call to, to use to finish a, a turkey off as well. Earlier, we talked about the tree up, which is a very soft yelp. So think of a turkey first waking up in the morning, real soft stuff, <clears throat> soft putts in there. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're getting excited. So I always throw, try to throw realism in there a little bit with it instead of just doing the tree up. But I, you know, like if I'm doing that tree up, I just about bet you the note that they answer to is that extra, yeah. you know, excitement I mm-hmm. threw in there every time. So I always try to throw some sort of excitement in. Um, if you want to go, you know, strictly like, Say you were in the tree, you did some clucking, then you did some soft yelp. So maybe that maybe the hen's gonna fly down and maybe she's gonna cackle, maybe she isn't. Some days I cackle, some days I don't. And I ended it with a with a couple yelps there at the end. So flying down or flying up for a turkey is a very big deal for them. Like they get very excited and very nervous about it. And sometimes that nervousness comes out in and they cackle on the way down or they may cackle on the way up. Uh, Cackling on the way up in the evening is a great way to roost a turkey. I've had some awesome, awesome responses to a fly up cackle, especially on those dead calm, beautiful evenings in the, in the spring. Uh, it's also a great way to strike a turkey in the middle of the day. That, you know, like a, uh, a flustered hen. I've had turkeys gobble at that when they won't hit anything else. So a cackle is a good call, not only in the morning or evening, but also midday just as a striking type of call. Then once you're down on the ground, there's the bread and butter, which is the hen, yo. So if you look close to my mouth, the first hen yelp I'm doing is higher pitch and it's, it's really uh, just a plain hen yelp, but watch my mouth. My jaw's not moving. My lips are. Go into the lower pitch. My whole jaw is moving. So that's how I get two different sounds. And by combining those two, all of a sudden you've got a hen that goes from one level of excitement to a whole different gear, and then it adds that realism into it. If you add into that uh, a sound we call cutting, you get excited hen yelps with cutting. So first I'm going to do just cuts, then I'm going to do yelps with cuts.
so that's combining it kind of all, all together. Um, I didn't do a cluck and purr, did I? Hold on, let me, yeah. let me see. <laughs> I'm just in awe. Yeah. He is so talented. Turkey was already dead. He don't need to oh. cluck and purr. <laughs> all right, here he goes. A cluck and purr. That's kind of a contented feeding purr. If you get aggressive with that, it'd be more of a, a fighting purr. And that's another sound that much like that fly up cackle in the middle of the day, I'll give that fighting purr to try and make a turkey that had been gobbling and stopped. And I'll be like, why did he stop? And I want to give him some new sound to shock him into gobbling. I'll do that fighting purr in the middle of the day, much like mm. a fly up cackle and, and get some turkeys to, to respond to it. I might so. write that one down. <laughs> Mark, you sound so good. <laughs> it's just absolute. Do you, what do you do to preserve your mouth calls? Do you soak them overnight in something or how do you keep them from sticking together and losing their sound quality? Age old no, I, I don't soak them because I don't, I don't want like Listerine or something like that affecting the reeds. So what I do is I, I take and I separate all the reeds with toothpicks. I'll put a toothpick in there between the first reed and the second reed. And then another toothpick between the uh, second reed and the third reed. My eyes are not what they used to be. This is always fun in the dark trying to get these things. <laughs> right. And then, so I've got the call toothpicked if you will yeah to where they're separate and then i rinse that with clean water two or three times i get all the saliva off of it and then i let it dry not in the sunlight in a dark space i may even put a fan on it or something and then i put it back in the call case this is a call i've had i ran it all last spring and i'm running again now wow and it's, it's clean um but the the key is clean water and then let them air dry every single day, but do not let them get hot with your saliva on them. That is the <laughs> biggest thing that will spoil a call and turn it sour is if you've been running it all day, you put it in your vest pocket, it's in the sun, you go in and have breakfast, you come back out and it will sour almost every time. Keep them cool, keep them out of the sunlight and keep fresh water. Like I'll take a bottle of water, I get done in the morning, I clean it off and I put it somewhere cool and let it air dry. So you've been yelping on that call since last spring. Yes, sir. That is amazing. Oh, yeah. Mine lasts like what seven days. He, he's frugal. Of course, so. I, I spit them out on the dash before we go eat biscuits too. So that's one of the. he's got them in the in the rim, around the inside of his hat. Yeah, they know they get hot there. And yeah, greasy. I mean, it, the thing is, when you get a good one, you got to treat that thing like no doubt. A and, and it, almost like they have a window for me. You know, it's like they're, they're good when you and then you get them broke in and oh, they're so good, and then they kind of you know peter out on you. Obviously, I need to take better care of my mouth calls. Well, look, Mark, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, it, but I don't want you to go just yet, Mark. Well, we've got to we, ask, ask Jake. Yeah, well, I want to ask if anybody's got any, <laughs> any more questions. But, Mark, we, we've got a trivia question for you. We think it's kind of in your wheelhouse. And we're going to uh, – Mac, who will he be – He's gonna. we're going to ask you a trivia question. And then one of our listeners who has given us a review – 
will win a prize if you answer this correctly. So it puts a lot of pressure on you right there, Mark. Brother, you're killing me. Tangled web we weave. So who is he playing for, Matt? So you're playing for Camo Man 19. Hey. And he gave us a review at some point, I guess. He did. He gave us a great review. Uh, his wife actually gave him the Gamekeeper Magazine subscription for their fifth year anniversary. She's and he loves cool. it. Yeah. And so he, he gave us a great review. So you're playing for Camo Man 19. Okay, right. Mark. All right, Camel Man, here we go. I'll do my best. <laughs> is All this right, baseball this trivia? Else. What is this? No, this is uh, – Because he's going to kill it on baseball trivia. Yeah, he would. No, but this is – I should – Mac, actually get you to ask the trivia question. Is this turkey though. trivia? I mean, yeah. give us a realm here. Well, it is uh, It is turkey-related trivia, So, and it has to do with the state of Missouri. So, Jake, you need to keep your lunches quiet yeah. if you don't mind. All right, so here we go. Can you read that, Mac? I can. I, I've deciphered enough of your messages by now <laughs> that I think I, I've got a good shot at it. shorthand. All right. So the question is, what is the state tree of Missouri? Would be the dogwood. Oh, there we go. Ring the bell. Yeah. Camo 19. Yeah. What was his name? Camo Man 19. You're the In proud the owner of a Levy Gamekeeper Sling. Nice. Way to go, Mark. We knew you'd come the through. Dogwood. Hmm. Yep. The dogwood. The dogwood, as the as well as the bluebird, even though it should be a cardinal, in my opinion. <laughs> I, do believe, I do believe a bluebird is our state, was the state bird of Missouri. Definitely should be the cardinal. So, uh, you know, a lot of people think, and as I do, that when the dogwood's in full bloom, that's when the turkeys are really doing it, gobbling mm-hmm. the best. And what, and then... What is it when they quit gobbling? Well, no. Uh, what other thing is? I'm, I'm looking at you. When the when the dogwoods are blooming, something else is going on. Uh, uh, Easter. <laughs> well, the crappie are biting. Oh, you know, I'm turkey hunting. It yeah. gets what, into my crappie Jake, fishing. I, w- I always thought that uh, didn't ter- Colonel Tom Kelly say that when oak leaves are the size of like the end of your pinky, that that's like peak. Gobbling. Gobbling time. I don't know. I didn't know what Jake was doing. The old, the, the old wives' tale for us has been they quit gobbling when you smell honeysuckle. And uh, and I don't know if that's true or not either. Mark, we'd love for you to come down and go turkey hunting with us this spring. I come appreciate on. that. I, I really do. How are How is your population? Like, you know, the big uh, conversation you hear amongst many hunters is is how stressed populations are in certain parts of our of our country. And um, I, I'm working with both both the entities at Turkeys for Tomorrow and NWTF to raise more awareness and talk about Healthy Yelp and the different programs and stuff they're doing through Turkey Season 22, our semi-live series this spring. Um, because in my opinion, based on the places I go, the populations are in, in terrible shape. How are they there? Well, it, it felt like last year, for whatever reason, where Lanny and I hunt in Alabama, yeah. it didn't feel like we had as many birds as we normally do. No question. And and that's just our anecdotal observations. But right. it, uh, where turkeys were supposed to be, they weren't. And we've noticed that, honestly, over the last 10 years. If you, I mean, if we had to be real about it. You yeah. Know? Um, and we, on this particular property, we kind of control, we, we set our own limits. We, we Nobody gets to kill Five birds, or four, now it's four. Unless Bobby but, decides he wants to. And, <laughs> but we, you know, so we've we purposely scaled back, uh, and we've done that for a number of years. But so, but we know of other places that seem to have have plenty of birds. So it's it just makes you scratch your head. But there's a lot of people that are concerned and saying, "Hey, I don't have the birds I used to have." It's definitely on the radar screen, you know, uh, from a habitat and, and perspective for sure. So. 
Gonna do it again. To me, my general observation has been, you know, we kind of reached, you know, like peak population in the call it 95 through yes. 2010, somewhere in there. Just, mm-hmm. I mean, turkey. Great to were, be a turkey hunter then. <laughs> it was great. I mean, it was an embarrassment of riches in some places. That's exactly you know, right. You didn't didn't think twice about doubling if two came in or, you know, killing four birds off of one parcel. And now anymore, they're in pockets. They're in the honey holes of the honey holes, and they're not in those extra spots out there anymore. Like we've got some spots that are amazing. And then we've got some spots that used to be okay, that they're not even there anymore. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems as if they've all settled off into their spots and that's where you find them year in and year out, but you don't find them in all the, all the other spots anymore. That's what I've observed. Yeah. I would say that too. We definitely, yeah. there's pockets of turkeys, but not broadly over the landscape like it used to be Correct. in those, those, that 15 years. It was good times back then. Well, it's good that people are, are paying attention to this. Right. And then we've got young people like Olivia coming along that yeah. are studying what's going on. And uh, people like Dr. Michael Chamberlain and uh, it did Dr. Us great information. Uh, Michael Byrne from Missouri. We mm-hmm. had him on the other. So there's a, people are trying to get answers and that, uh, that, that feels good. Well, just like always, we have to take responsibility for the resource ourselves, you know. So, and it, just like we're talking about, when do you call a turkey? Well, it depends, you know. you It depends on the property, what you need to do to manage it correctly. So, just raising the awareness level and everybody taking responsibility for their own actions is uh, the future for it. The, the other thing we've done is, you know, everybody manages deer. We've started managing our turkeys, if you will. Like, we keep track of how many birds we hear on a property year over year. Cause I've, I've got a lot of different satellites. I got a 160 here and a 200 there, and this would be permission or lease or something that I own. So we're keeping track of a, how many we're hearing B how many we want to kill versus what we killed off that farm and see how many Jake's we've uh, seen in the area. And then we're, we're watching that through time and watching our populations. Okay. Are we hearing more this year? Are we hearing less? How many Jake's are we seeing year over year? And we're making decisions on harvest based on the data points we're putting down in terms of what's this, what shape is the population actually in and what shape is it going to be in next year? And we've been doing that the last several years, and it seems to really be helping. We have really limited our harvest on certain farms uh, because of that. No, that's great. I, I appreciate hearing you say that and, and setting an example for others in, in the way that you behave. Mm-hmm. And you've always, you and your family, Mark, y'all have always done that. Y'all have been... Y'all been gamekeepers uh, for a long time. That's right. No, I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I love all of you like brothers, as you know, and uh, it's an honor to honor to be on your podcast. I, as always, I appreciate it very much. And everybody have a, a safe and blessed spring out there. There we go. Yeah, and and look, Mark, it's 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 our honor to have you. We it, we 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 feel strongly. I, if Toxie were here, he, he, I mean, he'd tell you he loves you, and uh, he means it, and you know that. And, and we all think so much of you guys. So uh, please, uh, you have a safe spring, and we hope you have a, a lot of successful mornings. And stay in touch with us, and thanks for being here. Uh, I appreciate y'all. Thank you. Yes, sir. All right, guys. Well, what You going to tell them goodbye, Jake? Bye, Mark. <laughs> Good to well, see you. <laughs> so, look, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for being here, Jake. Olivia, you've been a pleasure. I, I'm just so impressed. I really am. I look at David. And I don't know how he pulled that off. I, I, he, <laughs> we know? need to move David into sales. Yeah. It's clear we need to move David into sales. Look, it's time. Wait, have you got anything else you want to say? Well, I just thought since he was sitting in Dudley's seat, we, he was going to ask a ask Jake question. 
Maybe not. I don't have an ask Jay question. <laughs> so is he going to handle the, the goodbye Dudley? I, I think he should. Yeah. I think, why don't you say goodbye, Jake? Goodbye, Jake. Get us out of here, Mac Mac. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine and don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland.